Father, we want you to speak to us right now with the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we don't want to just be thinking about all the stuff that's flooded our minds today. We've had so many invitations from so many other uh, things to think about that. But right now, we want to learn how to focus on you. So would you speak to us right now? And would you use the words that are spoken tonight to change the lives of the people in this room? And that there would be an explosion from this place that changes the world. That the people in this room would come closer and higher up in a relationship with you and that they would not give up. They'd never look back, but they'd keep their eyes on you and that you you would reward them and change their lives because of it. So help us right now, Lord. Help us. Help me and everybody else that uses the microphone tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys can sit down. And this is um, what I want you guys to think about. A few weeks ago, I asked you, if when you talk to people across the street or at Walmart or at McDonald's about God, and they're like, what is God? Or what are you talking about? How do you explain who he is? And, and for so many of you, that's like, well, God, you know, God. But that's not the case for everybody. And so what I asked you guys to do a few weeks ago is to understand how limited our words are in explaining who he is. And I, I showed you that by asking some of the people in the room to describe some things. I asked Sudanshi to explain jackfruit. And he tried. And I asked uh, Yutakun to describe takoyaki. And he tried. And I asked Timothy to describe his friend. And he tried. And yet after all that trying... None of you felt like, oh, I know what jackfruit is. I know what takoyaki is. I know who Timothy's friend is. Nobody felt that way. All of you felt like, huh? That sounds cool. But unless you had an experience with those, with those things, they really didn't make sense. And this is where we are with God. For us to sit around and talk to people about what God is like and who he is without an experience with him, our words do not help and I think sometimes this is where the, the problem is. The barrier is between, there's, there are people who would like to know God, but because our words have been so I- inadequate, in fact, they've actually done some damage at times, people are like, I don't, I don't like the God that you're describing to me. So what we've been talking about, for the, that, that was going to be a one-night thing, but this is actually the fourth night and what turned into a series, and we've been talking about who God is, what God is. And we, last week we talked about how Moses had been he just was trying to mind his own business taking care of sheep and God shows up in his life when he's 80 years old and tells him what he's going to do for the rest of his life. Moses dies at 120. He doesn't know that at the time but but God says, Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go back to Egypt and you are going to set my people free. And Moses is like, but I don't really want to. And God says, but I'm the boss and you're not, so you're going to do it. And he's like, but I don't even know who you are. Who are you? He understands that it's God, but he's like, which God? And what God? What, what is, who are you? And God says, you guys remember what his answer is? God says, I am. I am or I am who I am. In other words, I am ultimate existence. But that's, that's not really great grammar from our perspective because we're like, okay, I am what? And Moses feels like this. And God doesn't finish the sentence there at this first encounter with God. Instead, God says, you obey me, and you come back to this mountain, meet me at this mountain after you've finished step one of this responsibility, and I will let you know what you're supposed to do next. So Moses goes back to Egypt. He sets the people free. You guys know the stories of the plagues and the Pharaoh and crossing the Red Sea, and they come back to the mountain. God is meeting with Moses during this time. Moses is getting to know who this God is. 
But what we studied about last week is there's a point where Moses is just like, I got to know who you are. You have revealed yourself to me to some degree, but I still don't know you. And I want, I want, we sang a song just a minute ago that Maddie let us in saying, what, what was the lyrics? It was, I wrote it down, desperate to know who you are. And I thought, that's what we've been talking about. I'm desperate to know who you, who you are, oh God. And what, what, I, what I was thinking about as we were singing that is, have you guys ever been desperate for something? Most of the time, when you're desperate for something, whether it's food or some drug or some experience, most of the time, you're, you've got this feel like, I am not going to be satisfied until I get that thing. Right? I mean, that's what desperation is. What's interesting, interesting about desperation for God is anybody who's had that sense in their heart of desperation for God, like, God, I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. I want to experience you. That experience of desperation is actually extremely satisfying. It's, it's, it's the, to know him means to want him more. And the more you want him, the more you want him even more. And the experience of that is good and satisfying. It's not like any other drive to know something. It's not like any other desperation. So Moses is like, God, I got to know you. I got to know you. And God says, good, meet me on the mountain tomorrow. That's what he says. Meet me on the mountain tomorrow, and I'm going to let my glory pass by you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. My identity is going to be revealed to you tomorrow in a way that you've never experienced, Moses. And so let's read about what happens. Moses, um, Exodus 34, verse 5. Okay. Exodus 34, verse 5. Guys, if they didn't tell you you're coming to Bible study, they weren't very nice. Because this is a Bible study, so if you don't have a Bible, um, or you don't, have, you don't want to look over the shoulder at somebody next to you, then, then raise your hand, and Sudanshi will get you one. And if you guys want a Bible to keep, you can either keep one of those, or I'll buy you one personally and sign it with my name, as long as you promise to read it. Okay. So, Exodus 34, verse 5. Moses goes up the mountain. Actually, let's start in verse um, 4. So, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord, okay, it says the Lord in your Bibles. And if you guys were here last week, you guys remember what that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D means. That is God's name. And since there was confusion about how to pronounce it, so many of of the translations end up putting the word Lord. But anytime you see all caps, all uppercase, that is the name of God, the name of God, Yahweh, or sometimes pronounced Jehovah, but it means I am. So what the so the Lord, the I am, this great um, author of existence, this 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 one who exists eternally, he came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name. Remember what name is. This is about identity. He proclaims his identity. He's gonna tell Moses who he is. Remember, he told him, I am. I am who I am. I am ultimate existence. But now I'm gonna tell you. The rest of that sentence. And he, and he dis, discloses to Moses his name, his identity, the Lord, right? The I am, the great I am. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. He's about to proclaim his name, his identity. I am. I am the compassionate and gracious God. Remember, that's what they, that when you see that all uppercase L-O-R-D, that's, what it, that's what's there. I am the gracious the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and maintaining love to thousands 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. Now, we're going to talk about what all this means. But just understand what God is saying. God is disclosing the next layer of his identity. I am compassionate. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love. I am abounding in faithfulness. I am maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. This is kind of like five, a five-faceted look at God. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask um, some of our uh, small group leaders to share uh, for about five or six minutes each on each on these five facets. So who's got who's got the first one? I am the gracious, or I am the compassionate God. Who's got that? Beth. Not the time. Let's focus. Thank you. All right. So I am the holy name of God. I am a compassionate God. What does that mean? Well, compassion is the motivation to act towards those who are in love. It's a deep feeling where you just see somebody in need and you get like, I want to help you. I want to help you. And it drives you to do something for that person. Um, it's not, you, I mean, you can look at somebody who is in need and just say, oh, I'm real sorry for you. I have pity for you. Pity don't do nothing. Pity don't do nothing. Compassion, you are compelled. You are forced. You are motivated to do something for that person. That's the feeling. And that's a, since, it, since this is a, God, a characteristic of God, it's a heavenly characteristic. And it's something that we should strive for. But in how we see this and how we look at how to do this is by looking at God and at his character and how he is compassionate. Because of his compassion, he was compelled. He was forced. He was motivated to look at when he saw us in our mess and all of this, like, and the consequence that we had for what we did against him by choosing something over him, by choosing something else besides him, by messing up. He didn't look at us in pity and say, oh, well, that's too bad. Darn. No, he said, oh, my goodness. This person, they're, they're, they're amazing. They're great. Oh, my goodness. I have to do something. I have to do something to help them. They're in need. I, I, they really need. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? Well, I mean, he already knew what he was going to do, but still. But there's also one thing that I noticed. In the word compassion, there's a passion part, which means you need, it's something intense. It's not something that you can just ignore. It is something you have to do. And now that might be a little gentle, are you okay? Or it can be like, you need help right now. <laughs> but it all depends on you. But anyways, but it's, and that speaks about God. That speaks about him. He's passionate about, about helping us. It's a deep, deep feeling that you just really just want to use. And that's how we learn how to be compassionate is by looking at all the things that God did for us by sending Jesus to die for us, to take our consequences and to say, nah, you're good. Or to even now, just even like in our daily walk and just be like, Lord, today I'm struggling. And he sees that. He says, I know. And I'm going to do something about that because I'm compassionate towards you because I love you. 
And there's the one thing, um, if you go to Psalms 116, verse 5, just to prove this point, get the proof. In, verse, in Psalm 116, verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. I'm going to wait just a bit because the important part's after this because it's my point. Our God is full of compassion. He protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. If you notice in here, compassion happens before the action. You have to have compassion before you act. It's the thing that motivates you to act. It's always what has motivated God to act on our behalf. So just say, just give, give Jesus a thank you. That's really all of the best thank you you could give. Really, come on now. Try that again. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Well, compassion is extremely important, and Beth made that point, um, and on to grace. What is grace, and why do we need grace, and what's so important about grace? Um, the reason why you're here today, the reason why I'm standing here today is because of grace. Um, a couple questions that I had that we'll ask after we read this. You guys can turn to Titus. Um, it's going to be towards the back. Um, if you know where Hebrews is, go two books before that, and you'll make it. Um, Titus 2.11, we'll start in verse 11. And when I, when I was reading this, when I was reading this, it's so easy to miss all of the little things that God has for you in the scripture. So I want you guys just to listen as carefully as possible, please. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, and you can turn it down, I'll put it closer to my face. Um, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we, while, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope that appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And, and there's so many questions that I ask God. I was like, God, why are you so gracious? Why? Why are you a gracious God? Why are you a good God? And, and just one thing that he's done, one, is he sent his son, right? It said that, it said that he, sent his, he sent his son, Jesus, to set us free. So we have the opportunity to say no to the desires of our flesh. That's, that's sometimes so hard to do in the moment, um, more or less hard to do when we're tired, more or less hard to do when we feel like everything is happening against us, coming against us, when we feel like we're not getting a break. Has anybody ever felt that before? Like one thing happens after another. And what God wants to let us know is that we have the answer. He has given us the answer of his grace. And the simplicity of that is we say, yes, Jesus. That's all we have to say. We say, yes, Lord. That's it. And when we start with that, when we start with the yes, and, and to understand what that yes means is it's, it's a yes of surrender. 
Because you can say, yeah, you know, all right, yeah, God. But what he wants is a yes. He wants a yes of an open heart. He wants a yes of, God, when I tell you yes, I know I'm going to have to change things. God, I know when I tell you yes, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices that I haven't wanted to make sacrifices. There's things in our lives, there's things in my life that God has asked me to sacrifice. And I have no right to tell him yes and ask him for something if I'm not going to give everything to him. He's given everything to me. He's given everything. He, ha he has held nothing back. And if you feel like God is holding something back from you, if you feel like you're not experiencing his love, if you feel like you're not experiencing his joy, his peace, his patience, everything that he's given available to us, not only through his spirit but through his word, if you feel like you can't experience that right now, then ask yourself that question, God, what do I need to give to you? What do I need to sacrifice and have I sacrificed at all? Because God's grace, to be able to walk in God's grace, you have to walk and live life by the Spirit because that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's who God is. And so to live life by the Spirit and to be able to walk by the Spirit, we have to surrender all. We have to open up our heart. And so, so I just wanted to challenge you guys today is think about those things. What things are we holding back from God? What, what things in our future that we feel like God has put a desire in our heart? I know how that feels. Before I was following God, I had so many desires in my heart that I was going to bring him glory, okay? But this was before I surrendered it all to God. I was born in a Christian home, raised up in a Christian home, went to church, all that great stuff. But I didn't surrender my life to God until I was 18 years old. I didn't say, God, yes, you can have it all. And I had desires in my heart before that. And I, I continued to pursue those after I gave my life to God. But then God started asking me and saying, Matt, give me this. Give me that. And I'm like, no, God, you told me to do this. I'm not going to. And I, I found myself arguing with God. Like he's not allowed to change things in my life. <laughs> And, and so I just want to encourage you guys, let God make some changes. It's a, and it's an exciting thing. And, and to leave you with this is every sacrifice that you make, every sacrifice that I've made for God is worth it. It's worth it. And I can't, I can't say that without tears of joy coming, tears of joys coming to my eyes. Because when I was, before I made that decision to make that sacrifice and give it to God, I was so scared. I was so worried. I was like, God, if I give this to you, then I'm going to be losing something. And God said, no, trust me. And I'm like, it's hard. And he said, just say yes and open up your heart. And I did. And he showed me it's worth it. And he gives it all back no matter what. So I just want to encourage you guys, be excited about making sacrifices because God had you on his mind. He was ready to sacrifice everything he had before he even made you. He knew that we would turn our back on him. Then I'm like, God, why would you even make us? Why would you even go through all this? He said, because I love you. Because my grace is sufficient for you. Because I knew you would be okay. Because I'm with you wherever you go. And yeah, he's, he's got you guys. Bless you. Hello. Um, have you <laughs> have you ever been like really treated badly and, and you're like, God, would you please just get them, just just judge them and give them what they deserve and like really get them and 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 really it's it's like 
you want God to act. You want God to show justice right there. And that's, that's part of, of being made in the image of God that we, all of us humans, if you're a human, you're going to have an attribute, you're going to have a sense of justice. You're going to have this sense of what's right and what's wrong. And that reflects back to our Father. And, um, and in, uh, in, Genesis, in Exodus, Exodus 30, um, 34, 5, it says, 34, 6, it says he's slow to anger. Can, can you imagine a God that sees everything, not be angry ever? I mean, come on, he sees every single evil deed, every single evil intention of even good deeds. Can you imagine him not being angry at those things? I, I honestly can't. If God is, is just, he's going to be angry sometime. He's going he's gonna to be like, I, this, is, this has to work out. And so, um, so he works everything for the best of his creation. He, he created it. And so he's going he's gonna, to um, he's gonna work things out for the best. And it's it says in um, it says in Psalms, Psalms says Psalm one oh one verse verse um, eight. Every morning I destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city all who those who do iniquity. Every morning God judges. Every morning, but he but he's also slow to anger. How does that work? Every morning he judges. But he is also slow to anger, and then it, and then in um, Ezekiel, you have Ezekiel thirty-three, thirty-three, tw- eleven. It says, "Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from the, his way and live. Turn back." Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Now, um, now God, God brings only certain judgments. Who, who thinks they can, they can handle all that they deserve from God right now? Who thinks they can? <laughs> if, if God was, would give us in one day everything we deserve, even if he stretched it out full 24 hours, it's like, I would not want to live that day. <laughs> I probably wouldn't live that day. <laughs> That's, so he, every morning he takes account and he's like, okay, what can they handle for this day? What's the good? Because in Revelation, in Romans 2, 4, it says the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And that's obviously what God desires. God wants the wicked to repent and turn from their ways. And in, um, and Jesus says in Matthew 5:45 that the sun shines on the good and on the evil, and the rain comes on the just and on, on the unjust. He, every morning he sets account and he says, "Okay, who needs mercy? Who needs judgment? Who needs who needs praise? Who who needs what in what measure, so they can come." So know me better. And every, everything in your life is, is a ordained so that you can come to know God better. You can know his justice. Whatever, that, whatever for you is God is trying to work into you. That's, that's what it is. And, and when you return, when you, when you 
listen to this, listen to God working in your heart and in your life. When you listen and you, you turn, it's like, it's like all, all of your past things, all of your past sins, it's like those cracks that we talked about, that um, Maddie just talked about. They get filled in with gold. That's like, that's like the Redeemer coming and signing his name on your sins. And they don't become, they're no longer sins. You've learned from them. The purpose of them has been fulfilled. And Jesus shows the goodness of them and shows how they, how they were for a purpose. And they reveal his nature. They reveal his goodness and his love and his light in your life. So the, so the purpose is to experience God, to know God, to love God. And to, really, and to really incorporate and internalize that into your heart and into your life. And, that, and that's why God, God, put, God put so much out there. God, and, and constantly, every day, he sits in judgment. He's like, okay, what do you need? What is, will work for you the best? What will make you the best person? What will bring you to the fullest knowledge of me that you can handle? Because sometimes it's, sometimes it's power. It's going to give you power. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm having a blue day. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know if I can handle this day. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah. And that's, that's what I have. expecting that. It made me close my Bible. <laughs> All right, so Exodus 34, the next part is, and he is rich in faithful love and truth. So first of all, what does it mean, abounding love? Or it says rich love in my Bible, but it's like abounding love. Is What it isn't just, it's not just warm, fuzzy feelings that you feel, you know, whenever you love something or someone. Um, it's, it's more than that. It's, it goes deeper than that because whenever you have just that, it's you know, kind of temporary and it's tempor temporal, temperate. It changes you know, based on your emotions and everything. But his love for us is, is more on the lines of a covenant. It's, it's unchanging, unwavering. It's not going to change based on the, the things that you do. Um, you know, God loves us the same today as he did yesterday and as he does tomorrow. It's not going to change based off of the things you do. Um, and that's really important because that's a huge aspect of who, who he is. That's, you know, his nature is, is a loving God. And the next part of that is truth or faithfulness. And it's interesting because those, these two attributes of God, his love for us and his faithfulness, are very, you know, tied together. You can't have, you can't really have both with, you can't have one without the other. You need both of them. Um, so his love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is his love. And, you know, it's difficult because in life, you know, it's easy for us to flake out. We live in a day and age where, you know, like people say things and they don't follow through with it. They quit, you know, halfway through or, you know, last minute you get a text and you're like, oh yeah, I can't show up. Sorry. And you're like, great. I planned that planned this all out and you've, you've flaked out. 
But God's not like that. He never abandons his people. And, you know, all throughout the Bible, you'll see promise after promise after promise that he's made. And he has never flaked out on a single one of them. And it's very, in, it's really cool because when you look at Abraham's life, you see the covenant that he made with him. And he has Abraham cut these animals in half and lay them down, you know, side by side to make like a walkway through it. And it's a really gruesome picture. It's like really gory. I don't know if y'all realize how gory it is. They cut the animal in half and they're both halves are sitting there. It's not pretty. But it's a graphic, graphic picture of his, you know, covenant and his love for us that he's showing Abraham. You know, in that time, it was like whenever they have the animals, they would walk through it. And then it was basically them saying, look, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, I'm going to, I should end up like these two, an these animals that are on the ground. It's a dramatic picture of, you know, the depth of what they're doing. And so it, Whenever he's talking to Abraham, he has Abraham cut these animals and put them out there. And, you know, you would expect Abraham to walk through it to fulfill that covenant, saying, okay, God, this is what you said you're going to do, and blah, blah, blah. But no, God himself walks through that. And he's saying, I'm making a covenant with you, and if I don't fulfill it, I should end up like this. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing to think about that, you know, God who created us is saying, if I don't fulfill my own bargain with the thing that I created, then I should end up like this. That's, that's a really amazing picture. And, you know, throughout the whole Bible, you see this, this story that is unraveling, you know. And in the midst of it, in the midst of all the mess, if you guys have read through the Bible, you'll know that it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It, it lays it down the way it is, you know. There's murder, there's rape, there's incest. There's so many things that were like, oh, my gosh, like, what in the world's going on in here? And it's like, in, in the midst of that, God is still there. God is still faithful and constant. You know, in this day and age, it's so easy for, you hear all the time people blame God. It's like, why did God do this? Why did God do that? God's not the one that did those things. He's there in the midst of it, pulling out the good from the things that we do. You know, we're the ones that threw what he gave us away, and he's doing everything he can to redeem it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I've got we. If you remember where we are um, right now, we're. Um, we're right to the end of verse 6, and I've got, like, verse 7. So verse 7 um, of Exodus 34, verse, uh, verse 7 reads, Who keeps loving kindness, so this is God saying who he is, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of, the father, of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. This is who God says he is. And <laughs> this is the last thing that he says about who he is. And this is like a little bit heavy, you know? This is a little bit like, but God, you're so warm and fuzzy and you were like loving and compassionate. And then there's the slow to anger thing. And then, and then now we're talking about, you know, like here it even says punishes. Some of your Bibles it says punishes, right? There's this thing about, you know, like, ah, oh, God's, 
because there's there's something going on where if if we if he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished and you know he does like he, there's something going on you know within like our family structure there's something like ugh, a little bit icky and all of you have experienced this every single one of you right because as you're not perfect your parents aren't perfect either you know every single one of you has parents and some of you come from much more broken family situations than I do. But I know in my personal life, like, families are messy, you know? And, and, and our families aren't always perfect. And that sin, that sin that our parents and, you know, our children, and we commit, has consequences. And, you know, in the Bible, it talks about those consequences, and sometimes it even calls them, like, curses. It, it's like there's this, there's, there's a very real impact of sin and and God here you know the the word um, the word that's used um, you know in some Bibles it's translated as visiting is this like presence like God is present in that what what does that mean like what does it mean that God is involved in that is that does that mean that he's the one doing it does that mean that he's the one like you know when there's ickiness that he like then causes that ickiness to come on us no I think like, and, and when you read, you've got to read all of the Bible in context. Like, you can't kind of take one verse out of context and be like, okay, that seems to, like, not fit with the other verses. And sometimes we see that. Sometimes we, we look at things and we're like, God, how does this work? And we call that a paradox, you know. But a paradox isn't a paradox. Like, it's just something that we don't understand. When we observe a paradox, when we observe two things that don't seem to fit, it's because they fit, but we don't we can't wrap our head around it. And so when we encounter something like this and we're like, God, what, what, what's going on? Like, how does this work? We've got to really think, okay, but who, like, who has God just said that he is? You know, and so I don't want to like repeat everything that they've just said, but you know, God has just said who he is. You know, he's just said, you know, that he is gracious and that he shows love and compassion and loving kindness. And, and when, we, when we look at this verse, um, when we look, Sorry, this is weird. Um, when we look here, um, he, he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Those three words, those three words we translate into one word called sin um, right now. Um, and those three words have kind of three opposites, which might help you understand um, the, the, the three. So loving kindness, uh, no, iniquity, sorry. Um, <laughs> iniquity is, is this like, the, the opposite of iniquity is righteousness. You know, and so it's this like, inherent like falling short of who who God wants us to be transgression is like this disobedience the the opposite is obedience so it's kind of like this disobedience and sin is is wrongdoing it's like bad acts Um, and so there are these kind of three things which you can't really say are the same but they we kind of clump them all together Um, and yeah it's God has this 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 innate thing of like, yeah, I am. There there is this brokenness about you, and I I want to redeem it, and we we see that in um in 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 his character, and when you when you go like, because I was looking at this verse like, ah, um, how do you connect it, and and you go back to the Ten Commandments, and the same phrase is there. You know, the second commandment reads, you shall um you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness. Uh, of what is in heaven above or on the earth uh, beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. 
for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And now here, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of, on the children, on the, third genera- uh, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we have these two very like, similarly connected things. And God is saying, I am jealous. Like, there is wrong within you, like, and, and you're affected by so much sin, but you can be free. You can be free. And the reason why you can be free is because God is jealous. He has this, this desire for each and every one of you. Like, you feel like you're bound up by this thing, but he is so jealous. He is so much like, I want your heart, and I, like, I want you, that he would go through all of the stuff that we've already talked about. He would, he would give of himself. He would give his son. Like, Second uh, uh, Peter 2, 3, 9 um, is like, like, ah, um, is the free, the, um, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is um, eternal life um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's like, the wages of sin is death. Like, God, God, the, the result of this sin that is on you, that, that you have committed, like, because that's the other thing. Ah, oh, this is so complicated to explain. But, <laughs> Because it's like all so interwoven. Like this isn't just one logical, like I was trying to come up with this flow, right? I was like, okay, I have six minutes. I have six minutes to like go through this. And there is no like clear way of rooting it because it all kind of like comes back to each other. But you read Proverbs 26 and 2 and it says, it says like, like the sparrow flitting and the, 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 the swallow flying. A curse undeserved cannot alight. And it's like, you know, there, there are effects of sin. Sin that we have committed, sin that our parents have committed, sin within our family. And God's like, you know, that, those effects, you can be free from those effects. You can, <laughs> if they're undeserved. And the only way that they're undeserved is through Jesus. And the only way that we get Jesus is because, is because G, like, God is willing. He's so jealous for us. He wants us so much that he would, he would, he would give us Jesus that we can accept. It's like this gift that we have to receive. Like God can hold it out to us, all that, we, all that he wants, but we've got to be willing to take it. Um, and, and he is willing. He's, the, the promise that comes along with this, the promise that comes along with it is right here. You know, maintaining love to the thousand, uh, to thousands. You know, and in, in, um, in the great, um, com- uh, in the Ten Commandments, it has that bit at the end but showing love and kindness to thousands. And it's like there's this promise of, yes, like sin has an effect for three or four generations, but loving God, seeking God, choosing God over, over everything else, put it, putting him as the center thing in your heart, the, the, the thing that you're going to seek after, results in a, in a blessing, in, in this, this promise for a thousand generations. You know, on and on and on. Like, the, the choices that you're, that you're making now, the, the choice to have Jesus in your life, to, to choose God, is having an impact on the rest of human history. You know? and, and there are consequences of sin, but God has this, this intense promise of, like, I will show my loving kindness. I will show who I am. You know? And that's, that's what it's all about. It's about seeking God 
finding his face. That's what Steve's been <laughs> trying to do this whole, this whole like series is all about seeking God, you know, and, and this gift of eternal life. Eternal life is like Jesus himself says in John 17, 3, like, and this is eternal life that they, that they, and he's praying for us, that they know the, the only God, like, and the jealousy thing comes back in that you are, he is the only God, the only one. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I'm saying you have sent because it's Jesus praying to God about us. So yeah, it's like God wants your heart. He wants you. And so like if you get one thing, one thing out of, out of tonight and who God is, it's that he is good. And his, his heart is that you seek him. And he's not standing there like, Ugh. he's like, seek me, seek me, seek me. And he's, he's reaching out to you. Like, even tonight, he's reaching out to you, and he's saying, seek me. Seek my face. Thanks, man. Hey, guys, let's close by asking Maddie to come forward, and let's just, um, let's close by surrendering ourselves to this God. And here's the question. Some of you guys understood God more through what was said tonight. Some of you are just like, I still don't understand. I don't understand who he is. I don't understand what all this means. My question as we sing this song is, are you willing to trust him even when you don't understand? Have, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust his goodness? So as we sing, here's what I want to do. We're going to stand up. What song are we singing? I surrender all. This is what we're going to do. I want uh, all of our small group leaders, would you raise your hands? Okay, here's our small group leaders. Okay, if, if a, as we're singing this song, maybe you're like, man, I don't even know what this is all about. Would you grab one of those people with their hands raised and just say, hey, would you pray for me? They'll be glad to pray for you, okay? And if you've got something else you need prayer about, they'll pray for you. We're going to sing this song, and everybody be in prayer. Pray to the Lord as we sing. This is a song of prayer, a song of surrender. So you guys pray together, sing together, and if you need specific prayer, then you grab one of those people with their hands raised, and then we'll close.